Welcome to the GYSB Talks podcast with host Carla Palmer. GYSB Talks, get your sexy back talks, is the number one podcast helping women in midlife elevate physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, and in relationships. I am so happy and oh so grateful that you are here today and every week. Now, let's get into today's topic, shall we? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of GYSB Talks. I am your host, Carla Palmer. I'm super excited to have today's guest. I am going to be speaking with Dr. Yolanda Lindsay. Thank you for being here, Dr. Lindsay. Thank you for having me, Carla. Excited. Always a pleasure to do a live or some sort of recording with you. Um, Dr. Yolanda Lindsay is a board-certified dermatologist and cosmetologist. I will let her tell you a little bit more about herself, just so I make sure I don't miss anything. Dr. Yolanda, can you tell us about your background? Sure. So, hello, everyone. Um, I love um, these opportunities to chat because um, my background is a little bit different than the average dermatologist. So, as Carla mentioned, I've been a board-certified dermatologist for the past 13 years, but prior to that, I trained in cosmetology in high school. I actually did hair in college. That's how I made money. And from my experience, when I was a teenager going to see a dermatologist who was actually my first black dermatologist, she actually inspired me from the work that she was doing to think about medicine as a career. Because previously I was thinking about law or something like that. And so my mother worked at the same hospital that she worked. And she said, my daughter keeps talking about you. So she said, well, bring her in. She gave me a little white coat and I got to shadow her and got a chance to see the breadth and the depth of things that dermatologists help patients with. And so I said, I saw some patients with hair loss and I was, you know, in cosmetology training at the time. So I was like, wow, I could combine my interest in cosmetology and my interest in hair and be a doctor or dermatologist who helps people who are dealing with hair loss as well as other skin and nail conditions. So that's really, you know, how my background started. And so over the past decade, I've been um, in in practice. I also do research. That's another passion of mine. And I'm one of the probably most active researchers in a condition that commonly affects Black women called CCCA, which I'm sure we probably will talk about. So though, that's a little bit about me. And, you know, that really speaks to the importance of just showing little kids things, you know, that they say they're interested in, like delving a little bit deeper. And if you know somebody who can introduce them to it a little in a little more depth, like, look at you, look at you now. You got to put on a white coat when you were a little girl. You got to see somebody who looked like you doing something you might want to do. And look how it's manifested. That's beautiful. It was um, it was such a blessing. I try to do that now when I see kids in my office who express interest. It's super important. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned CCCA. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a very uh, difficult thing for me sometimes to talk about because I suffer from CCCA, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I I don't think I told you guys how Dr. Yolanda and I met. We met at a women's conference 
Many years ago, um, I was the fitness instructor for the conference, and Dr. Yolanda and I were both, um, we both had an opportunity to go to dinner together. And I was able to share with her some of my struggles with my hair loss. And she, you know, took me back to uh, her room and did a, a closer look at what was going on with my scalp and really confirmed for me that I was um, suffering from CCCA. So talk about what CCCA is and how it really impacts women in the Black community specifically. Sure. So CCCA stands for Central Centrifugal Cicatricial Alopecia. Long name, I know. So we call it CCCA for short, but it's really the most common form of scarring alopecia that we see in Black women. So when we say scarring alopecia, we break alopecia into two big categories, um, non-scarring alopecia and then scarring alopecia. So non-scarring alopecia are forms of hair loss in which the hair follicle is not permanently damaged or destroyed, but there's just some temporary um, situation going on with the hair follicle, whether it's getting too small, whether there's inflammation around it, you know, things like that. So, but with scarring alopecia, an inflammatory process happens and it actually creates scar tissue and destroys the hair follicle. And so these conditions are, you know, really an emergency, if you will, in terms of getting them diagnosed and treated because they progress. And so that's why I'm really passionate about, you know, getting the word out because for many of us, we have, if we talk to our family members, our moms and our aunties, they know about this condition. They don't know what it's called. They may call it a stress spot. They may call it, you know, I just get thin up top, um, but it has a name and we want people to know the name so that you can get in and get it treated because Carla, with people, when people come in early, we have really, really, really great results with um, being able to stop the progression of the scarring as well as regrow, you know, the hairs around it that are not yet scarred. So that's very important. Um, in terms of some statistics, um, some of the studies that have been done show about 6% of uh, Black women have this condition, but we think that estimate is a, a underestimate because mm. of how frequently we see this. In our research, we did um, a survey and it's showing about 10% that have been diagnosed with it. So um, so it's just, I think it's at the tip of the iceberg because, you know, years ago when many of our mothers and grandmothers had, they didn't have access to go to a dermatologist to actually get this diagnosed. So um, we're really at the grassroots level, getting the word out, letting people know if you have a spot in the top of your scalp that is not growing, that's really itchy, that's tender, that's not normal. And because we normalize so many things, you know, we like to pat and, you know, scratch and, and things just say, well, I have an itchy scalp, it's normal. No, the itching is a sign that something's going on there. So if you have a spot that just won't grow, it keeps breaking off, those can all be early signs that there is some inflammation going on. So we want to get the word out to let people know that this is a thing. It's a real thing and it can cause um, serious, I mean, destruction of the follicle. My mother actually has this condition, has had it since the 80s. So that was one of the things that motivated me to want to go and to study this from a research perspective because I wasn't really able to bring my mother's hair back, you know, because by the time I became a dermatologist, hers was already 
covering about, you know, 60, 70% of her scalp. And mm-hmm. so it's really tough. It's really, really tough. But that's why I appreciate people like you who are influencers who come, you know, to the forefront because a lot of people who have hair loss, they suffer in silence and they don't want to share um, because, it, you know, there's been studies that people who deal with all types of alopecias have significant impact in self-esteem, self-worth, you know, things like that. So we know that it's tough to talk about. So when people do um, come are willing to talk about it, we're always, those of us dermatologists who studies, we're always so appreciative because we see an uptick in people coming in when they hear conversations like this. And they hear like they can put a name to something they may be experienced or someone, a family member. And it just makes a world of a difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you talked about itching, so I used to get braids. I think I mm-hmm. told you this story when we had the live and I was telling you how I would get braids all the time. Like that was my thing because I'm really into fitness. And one of the reasons I was able to continue with my fitness journey and to be consistent is because I continued to get my hair braided. It was easy for me. It was easy for me to transition from work to working out. And then if I had somewhere else to go, just I had braids, right? And so as I was getting my hair braided consistently, one of the the braider that was braiding my hair, the last braider that I had, I think she had braided my hair like the last two or three times. And so I was like, okay, it's time to get my hair braided again. Now, the time before the last time I saw her, she said, hey, you know, your hair is thinning a little bit. I just want you to be aware of that. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of brushed it off because it was just something you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to deal with it. And so um, I got my hair braided that time. And then it was time for me to, you know, and I always left my braids in too long. And I don't know if that, you know, helped the situation at all. And I always would wear my hair at the at a, at a bun at the top with the braids, right? Same pressure, same thing every single day. So then the last time I went to get my hair braided, you know, I brought the little packs of hair. My hair was taken out. And I said, okay, I sat down between her legs. And she said, um, I'm not going to braid your hair. I'm not doing this. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I told you last time that your hair was thinning and that you needed to take a look at it. And you're back again, basically, trying to get your hair braided to cover it up. But I don't want to be a part of this. And it really hurt my feelings. I'm not going to lie. I was a little upset with her. It's my money. I could do whatever I want to do with my hair. But the fact that she didn't want to do it, she saved it, you know, saved what it was left, I'm sure, by not braiding it that last time. But yeah, she didn't. She told me I could take my hair and and go and and get it checked out because she just didn't want to be a part of me losing all of my hair. So um, I say all of that to say when you talk about the itching and you talk about the padding, right, because, you know, you do that, the pat, pat. Is that a bad sign or is it just a synthetic hair that's itching your scalp and irritating your scalp? That's a great question. A very powerful story and kudos to that braider. I mean, I wish I would hear more stories like that, to be honest. That's actually more of the exception than the rule, what she did, because most of my patients come in and say, why didn't someone tell me? Why didn't my stylist tell me? But yeah, so itchy scalp is definitely multifactorial. It could be a number of different things. There's a condition called seborrheic dermatitis, which is like an inflammatory dandruff that can cause itchy scalp. The synthetic hair is notorious for causing allergic something called allergic contact dermatitis. So like you have an allergy, that hair is treated with a lot of different chemicals and resins and all types of things that can cause itching. So that could be the case. 
or you could have a condition going on. But you said a couple of powerful things. You said that you kept getting your hair braided over and over again, and you often put the braids up the same way. So we do see that chronic tension or chronic traction um, can be um, one of the things that can exacerbate this condition. So, you know, I always tell my patients, it's okay to wear braids. And, and, and I'm trying to get away from that term protective styles, because when you hear something is protective, that means it's a good thing. It, it can't cause any harm, right? And so that could not be further from the case. And so, you know, I think it's protective of our time, right? It, it allows you to be able to work out easily, easily and, you know, go on your way. So it's protective of your time because it's protective of your hair. Um, and so that's the thing that I talk to people about. You do it in moderation. But, mm. you know, this condition, and I'm not blaming it on braids, we're still at the tip of the iceberg to know what is fully going on. Um, our research and some research of colleagues have actually identified one of the genes that's involved with CCCA. So there's a gene that's called PADI3. And that's a gene that codes for an enzyme that's responsible for how the hair follicle forms. Mm. So when this gene is mutated, the hair follicle does not form properly. So in the initial study, there was about 25% of those people with CCCA that had this gene mutation. So not everyone, but it's a start. So we are taking that research to the next level by partnering with the Black Women's Health Study, which is the largest cohort study of Black women. And we started working with them in 2012. And we have done a survey of now like over 6,000 Black women in that cohort. And so we are going to be studying this gene in a, in a portion of of these women. So we are super excited to know because more research has to be done. You know, um, for for so long, a lot of uh, people of color have not participated in research, but it has harmed us because therefore we don't know as much information that we need to know. How we learn information is by studying it. Mm -hmm. And when I say study, we're not talking about, oh, my grandmother said, this helped her hair. That's not research. <laughs> research is you have to have a control group. You have that one group get one group does not and compare them or whatever you're studying. It has to be done in a scientific way. And so that's really what my push is. And and, and you know that's why I think is diversity is so important because the people, Carla, who study conditions that affect people of color, guess what? They're more likely people of color. Right, because they're interested in it. It's that's just the way it works. And so this is why we need to have more diversity at the table at all levels, at the researcher level, at the physician level, all levels, because we need to, you know, in 20 years from now, I don't want to be doing an interview and we still don't know as the as much information as we know now. I want us to be further along in our understanding so that we can make a difference, you know, because this has a a huge public health impact. You know, 
I mean, this is not just hair. That's the biggest thing that I just can't stand when people say, oh, it's just hair. It's not just hair. Hair is huge. And especially in the Black community, it's, it's huge for everyone. But especially for us, it's, it's a really huge thing. So this is my passion. This is what I do. And I, I love it. I love being able to help people in this way because I see the difference that it makes. That's one thing I love about dermatology. We're a visible specialty. So I can actually see. I was doing, before I got on here, I was doing my charts and I was looking at some of my patients before and after. And I was like, wow, that looks really good. You know, like they're, they're getting better. And that's so, not everyone gets better, unfortunately, but when it happens, it's so exciting. And I can see the look on their faces. They're like, oh my God. Because I take pictures on everyone. Mm-hmm. So I so people who've been with me for nine years, I have nine years of photos on them. And we can go back to like 2014, see what they were looking like, see what they're looking like in 2023, if they're still coming to me. And so it's powerful because photos don't lie. <laughs> Photos <laughs> do not lie. They they are time stamp, you know. So so yeah, it's just 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 a huge thing. I mean, that was a long answer to your question, but it, you, you can see this is a passion of mine for sure. Yeah, one of the things that you mentioned was uh, genetics. I think you mentioned was that when you were talking yes. about the genetics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it is genetic, right? Some of this can be genetic. Yes. A component of it is genetic. So we think the genetics, you have a genetic, we call it predisposition. And then the things that we do combine with our genetic predisposition can make it, it come to fore sooner or it could cause it to worsen. So for example, I know some patients who do, or family members, they do everything to their hair and they don't have a bit of hair. They color it, relax it, braid it, and they don't have any issues. So their, you know, genetics are a little bit different, but then there's other people who do all the right things. They don't do, you know, any tight styles. They shampoo regularly. They work out, they exercise, they drink water, they eat fruits and vegetables, and they have so many problems. So it's just how it is, you know, sometimes that we don't fully understand the interplay between genetics and the environment or genetics and the things that we do. So, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was telling you too the other story of when I was younger and we went down to Texas. I'm from Oklahoma originally. But we took a family trip down to Texas where my dad's mom and my dad's sister both live and, you know, church going folks. And so one Sunday we were at my grandmother's house and I saw her without her wig for the first time. And she had the same sort of hair loss that I have now. Right. The top of your head, like in the center, all bald. She wore wigs. And then my aunt, she didn't wear full wigs, but she I didn't know she wore hair pieces like this. And so that Sunday, we had gone to my grandmother's. I saw her hair. This is probably the same day, I think. Yeah, I think this is the same day. And I went to my auntie's house, and she was getting ready in her room for church. And my dad and my mom said, go get your auntie. Tell your auntie we're ready to go. So I go back there, and I, you know, knock on the door. She opens the door. She doesn't have her hair piece on. And I'm looking at her head like, wait a second. Like, you too? So then I remember thinking, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember thinking, oh my God, I hope that doesn't happen to me when I get big because I don't want my hair to look like that. I don't want my head to look like that. And just to see how they were balding in that same spot, both of them was really hard to see as a kid. And so now as an adult experiencing the same thing and wasn't talked about, we didn't talk about it. 
I just saw it. I don't even know if I said anything to my mom about it. Um, but yeah, it's like, oh gosh, that is, uh, it has to be some sort of genetic thing that's going on there with me, particularly. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we all, you know, I look back, my, my great grandmother was actually alive when I was a little girl and she had it. Uh, she had a significant area and, you know, and I think, I was like, mom, um, grandma Maggie was hurt. She said, yeah, she had it too. And, and so now we're all connected because when I was a kid, my mom was like, yeah, this is a spot. Uh, you know, a lot of the women in our family had this spot. And I was like, well, I don't want that spot. And actually I have it as well. I have a small area back here that never was like a bald area. It would just itch all the time and it would just break off. And I had one of my colleagues to do a biopsy. Sure enough, it showed early signs of CCCA. So my sister has it. My mom has it. Like I said, my great grandmas, many of my cousins. So I have it on both sides. So my father's mother had it and then my mother's mm -hmm. grandmother, my mother. So I have it on both sides. I've actually done a a pedigree depicting like all of the different people in the family who have it that I know of. And so, yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. And I'm so excited that we're studying this now because for years, Carla, people went to the doctor and was said, you did this to yourself. Yeah. You mm -hmm. would just stop relaxing your hair. You'd be okay. And we, we, we diagnose this in people who never relax. We diagnose this in children now. We diagnose yep. it in men, you know, and they never do any of the hair care practices that women do. Like, so none of them wore braids. So it's just multifactorial. And so this is why we just have to be aware. And I, I'm encouraging my patients who get diagnosed to talk to your family members about this. Get these young, um, you know, uh, family members in early so that they can be aware at least to like, if you know you have a genetic predisposition, at least don't add any insult to injury. Don't do hair care practices that could possibly worsen it, you know, so just be gentle. And so, you know, I even try to try different styles. So now like this is two strand twists and I love it. It's great for working out. Beautiful. I can just go and, you know, it's, it's lightweight, my own hair, no added hair. And so, it's good for my patients to be able to see, okay, this is, because patients will be like, oh, my hair won't do that. I'm like, yes, your, your hair, you might not be able to do it yourself. You might have to go to a trained stylist, but there's different things that we can do. It doesn't just have to be braids. And like I said, mm -hmm. braids are, you know, okay, but in moderation, just like fried chicken, right? You know, this healthy Carla, right? We, you know, you can have it at Christmas. You can't just have it every day though. You can't eat fried chicken every single day and not have problems, but we can do it once in a while and, and enjoy. But yeah, so I kind of think about it that way with, with hairstyles. They're fun, but we, we, we all ultimately want our base styles to be things that are low tension, low, um, low weight because some of some patients are like well can i do crochets you know some of these crochets use like six and eight packs of hair so this is a so, lot of hair that's a lot of hair on your little your, your little baby follicles follicles are tiny they can't withstand all this this weight because even if they'll say it's not tight but even if it's not tight it's heavy so it's not just tightness it's heaviness too yeah one thing that we talked about before um was when you the early detection, right? And not jumping ahead and spending all of this money on products, on services. We talked about PRP and we don't have to go into, you know, to detail about what that is, but 
just doing things prematurely before you see a person like a psychologist who can really help you process through what the next steps are going to be to help you move forward and save the hair that you have left on your head. So can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. You cut out a little bit, but I I think I got the gist of what, you you know, yeah, the first step is to get a diagnosis. If you, if you listen to this podcast thus far and you heard some of the things that sound kind of familiar to you, I would encourage you not to go on Amazon and purchase anything. Don't go to CVS and buy this, that, or the third. The first step, you want to come in and you want to first do research, to do some research, but the kind of research I want you to do is find a dermatologist. Um, find one, hopefully, that specializes in hair loss because within our specialty, we have dermatologists who specialize in all kinds of things. Now, there might not be one locally that specializes in hair loss. So you have options. You could travel. You can see someone virtually. But try to see a dermatologist, um, preferably one that specializes in hair loss, so they can do an examination. So the first step, Carla, is I'm going to look. I'm going to go through your scalp. I'm going to and, – and please come with no added hair. Um, with no extensions, no braids, because we want to part. I go part by part. Because sometimes patients will come and say, oh, my edges are thin. And I go through and they have a spot back here and I show them. They're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was there. So that's the first step. The first step is to, people say, what should I buy? A diagnosis. That's what you should buy. <laughs> and then just go get a diagnosis and, and get um, the answers. You want to be able to have a name for the type of hair loss. Don't just say, oh, I have alopecia. Alopecia is not a diagnosis. Alopecia just means hair loss. Is it alopecia areata? Is it the central centrifugal cicatricial alopecia? Is it traction alopecia? Is it androgenetic alopecia? You, you need to know exactly which one you have. And the reason why that's important, because they all have different causes and therefore different solutions or treatments. It's not a one size fits all thing. So okay. while your friend may be taking X, you might not have what your friend has. So don't both just take X because your friend's taking X. Because I, I have patients come in all the time and say, oh, you seeing my cousin and you gave my cousin this. I'm like, you don't have what your cousin have. I'm seeing you. <laughs> so very important to make sure people understand. And that was one of the reasons why I wrote my book, Getting to the Roots. It really helped people kind of tease out um, that there are different types of hair loss and what they look like and how we treat them. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's super important. Super important. Can we talk more about your book? Sure. So it's called Getting, I have it actually right here. Well, that's a picture of it. You can see right there. So it's called A Dermatologist. Do I have it right here on my desk? I think I took it in the other room. It's called A Dermatologist and Cosmetologist Guide to Understanding Hair. And so it's a book that's written for the lay consumer to really walk you through the top 15 major forms of hair loss or alopecia. So they say you just went to the doctor and they say, oh, you have discoid lupus. You can go to the chapter. You don't have to read the whole book. You can go to the chapter on discoid lupus and read those pages that that correspond to that. Um, it's really a good tool also for hairstylists if you want to learn more to be able to help your clients. Several of the stylists that I partner with, they have it in the salon. They let the clients read it while they're under the dryer. Really important to have a um, 
chapter on hair care, some scalp conditions as well. So I really wanted to write this book to just really be a guide um, of the common questions that I that I get asked. So, so it's a good place to start, you know, if you've been first just diagnosed or you know someone, it's a, it's a really good resource that a lot of people enjoy. Yeah, I think it should probably be in every Black home, to be honest with you, um, especially for people who have children and and women who do a lot of different hairstyles and want to make sure that their hair and their scalp is healthy. So you guys make sure you get the book. I will put a link in the show notes so that you guys know where to purchase it. So the last thing I want to ask is um, about diet and uh, the importance of that, because this is an autoimmune disease. And it is impacting more children and more people than I think it was in the past. And if you think about our food and how processed it is and the things that the government allows to be in our food, um, do you ever talk about that with your, your clients? Yeah. So when you say autoimmune, so one particular form, I think you're talking about alopecia areata, which is a non-scarred form of alopecia that we see commonly in children, but it can happen at any age that is autoimmune. And so let me just quickly explain what autoimmune is in case some of the listeners don't know. So in autoimmune conditions, your body's own immune cells go and attack itself. So in alopecia areata, they attack the hair follicles. In vitiligo, the condition Michael Jackson had, it attacks the melanocytes and causes white patches. So there's a number of different autoimmune conditions, but the one that affects hair is called alopecia areata. And so um, we still don't know fully what turns it on. That's why it's called autoimmune. And so we see it in people who are otherwise healthy, but I always tell my patients, it's always a good idea to clean up your diet, to really Mm. decrease the amount of inflammatory food. So really focus on fruits and vegetables, lean proteins, maybe limit dairy. Um, Some people have issues with um, red meat being more inflammatory, breads, rice, things like that. So, you know, the, the things that we know that are good for our heart, you know, same thing I say is good for your rest of your body. So we're all one system, right? If, if it helps one area of the body, it will help the rest. So that's what we know about that. So I just say, you know, I don't think just doing diet alone is enough for most people, but doing that in combination with the medical treatments usually leads to the best results. So you want to be managing your stress, making sure you get enough sleep, making sure you're drinking enough water, making sure you're exercising, all the things that you're you know, listeners, I'm sure since they follow you are also into. So those are things that are very important. Yeah. Yep. All of that is important. Listen, this holistic approach to wellness is something that I really want people to understand. Everything informs the other thing, right? So even your finances, if your finances ain't in order, then you're going to be stressed. And if you're stressed, then your whole body's going to be impacted by that level of stress. So it's all connected, right? And that's that's why the movement is a holistic approach to living well. Um, this has been so great. Always a pleasure to have you on. I have two questions that I ask every guest on the show. And the first one is about uh, GYSB, right? So GYSB stands for Get Your Sexy Back. When you first heard the word sexy as a kid or whenever you first heard it, what did you think about that word? And how has that word evolved for you as an adult? Oh, 
that's a great question. You know, I think as a kid, I thought sexy meant like people who were dress revealing, you know, had a lot of cleavage out, a lot of booty shorts on and things like that. But how it's evolved for me is sexy really means confidence. Um, women who are confident or men who are confident, they, that's sexy, you know? And so it's just knowing who you are, knowing who, what you stand for, and that is sexy. So it's not just about how you dress or how you look. It's really about your wellness. It's how you, how you show up in life. And so that's what I think is sexy these days. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Um, then the last question is, uh, your bucket list. What is a top priority on your bucket list that you just have to do before you leave this earth? Oh, I think travel is the biggest thing. I think, you know, one of the things about going into medicine is it's a really long educational journey filled with lots of delayed gratification. So I feel like I'm just getting started with going to places I want to go and doing the things that I want to do. So most of my bucket list places are, but I have to step on a continent. I have to step on a continent of Africa, you know, that's for sure. You know, it's many places I want to go, but definitely have to go there. My husband's been several times, but I, I need to go. So that's, yeah, so I'm going to make that happen. So yeah, that's, I would say, you know, this is a large world and I just want to see it and enjoy it and experience it because really, you know, at this age, I'm all about experiences. You know, I don't, I don't need another thing. I don't need another bag. My husband's like, what do you want for this? I don't need another bag or shoes. I want to experience great food in Italy and, you know, just Spain and just walk the streets. These are just things that I really, really want to do. I want to go on safari and maybe climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I don't know. You know, these are just things that I think, you know, I will always have because the memories that I have are really from places that I've gone. And we sit back and go, oh, remember when we were in Kauai, we went on the helicopter that was, you know, just seeing the mountains and the water. It's just, yeah. So I got to go. That's the top of mind too. So hopefully we get that in soon. <laughs> Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Dr. Yolanda, this has been so great, as always. Never disappoints um, connecting with you and, and getting your knowledge and expertise in this, in this to, on this topic of alopecia and raising awareness for people and making sure that people are taking action, right? Don't just listen to this podcast and say, oh, you know, I really need to get that done. No, go see about it now. If it's your child that you've noticed something in their scalp, go t go get that tested. Um, just take action. And then that's the most important thing. Um, if you're a stylist, be the stylist that I had who didn't put the braids in and really make your client go and get those things addressed so that you can save them later. You know, having alopecia, it's a... Uh, it's hard because it impacts a lot of areas of your life. It impacts your, the way that you do life. I was in uh, this beautiful country last September. I was on the Amalfi Coast and we were on this boat ride, you know, in Capri. And you could get out of the water, I mean, get off the boat and get in the water, right? Beautiful water. So I had this bun on and I had the little, my hair tied up. And I wanted to go under the water so badly and I couldn't. I couldn't go under the water because this would have fallen off or I didn't want to take it off and let 
the guy who was, you know, staring at a little yacht, you know, see my hair. I was just embarrassed. And mm-hmm. it, it's hard to live like that. And, you know, sometimes you think you're past it and you can do all the things. And then when those moments happen, it's like, oh, yeah, this is still impacting my life. This is still impacting my experience. I couldn't fully immerse myself in the experience because of the embarrassment. Same happens with dating. You can tell somebody you have alopecia all day long, but at some point they're going to have to actually see it, right? At some point they're, they're going to go to bed with you, you know, when you're married, of course, that's my, my way of doing things, but not necessarily everybody. So at some point you're going to go to bed with that person. You're going to wake up with that person and they're going to see the bare you, the raw you. And so, you know, there's some mental health that is impacted with this disease. It's not easy. Um, but it's something that I have to live with. And, you know, the more I talk about it, the more empowering I become, uh, the more I take my bun off and show people on social media, like, hey, this is the thing, right, that I was talking about. I hope that it helps other women. And so I hope me being courageous enough to show you the devastation um, helps you to understand that you are not alone. And these conversations that you and I are having today helps people to know that there is something that you can do maybe to save the little hair that you have left, or maybe you still have a lot of hair left. Um, but there are things that you can do to help yourself. And so thank you, Dr. Yolanda. I will take um, the information on where to find you, where to follow you, where to get your book and put it in the show notes so that everybody knows how to get connected and stay connected to you. Thank you, Carl. And just bravo to you. Know that you are indeed making a difference when you've um, done those posts and tag me. I make sure I share them because you are light years farther along in the acceptance journey than most are. And so um, I don't take it lightly that you do what you do and it, it makes a difference. And so I know it's not easy, but you know, this is important work. Um, so, so it's bravo and kudos to you. And I just hope you keep going because it definitely makes a difference from someone on the side of helping a lot of people with this. It makes a difference for sure. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, if you all want to stay right. connected um, to me, GYSB Talks, you can find me on social media platforms at GYSB Movement. I'm on YouTube, I'm on TikTok, and I am on Instagram the most. So follow me there at GYSB Movement. If you want to email me, you can email me at gysbmovement at gmail.com. I do respond to DMs and I do respond to emails. Dr. Yolanda, what's your handle? My handle is at Dr. Yolanda Lindsay, D-R-Y-O-L-A-N-D-A-L-E-N-Z-Y. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All content on this podcast and any linked blog, podcast, webinar, course, or video material is created and produced for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be relied on as health advice. The information is general and may not be suitable for your personal circumstances or complete health objectives. Do not use this content as a standalone resource to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease for therapeutic purposes or as a substitute for the advice of a health professional. Never delay seeking advice or disregard the advice of a medical professional based on our content here on this podcast. If you have questions or concerns about your health or medical condition, please seek guidance from a medical professional.